I'm on the ride of a lifetime. I'm on a ship that's sailing to uncharted shore, and I won't be coming back here anymore. I'm on a wave. I'm on a mountain. I'm on a roller coaster. From Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to worship God in spirit and in truth, seeking to understand Him. I'm Sean McCraney, your host, and our prayer tonight will be given by none other than Jen Pinkerton. Father God, we're grateful for our many blessings and that we could gather here together safely and that we can listen to Thy Word spoken through Sean, and we ask that Thou please help to inspire Sean with the words that he's meant to give us this night and to, to help them reach the people that they need to reach. We ask that thou please help us to seek after the kingdom of God and not worry about earthly matters. And we ask that thou help us to be able to walk in faith and be able to know thy will and study the words to be able to understand thy will and to be able to walk in prayer. And we ask that thou please bless all of those who are in bad health and in need of of a special attention that you will watch over them and please we say these things in the name of Jesus Christ amen amen, amen. thanks my sister grateful for uh, your prayer beautiful and all prayers are beautiful aren't they uh, last week we had a man call the show and express an opinion he wasn't really sure about the need for Jesus to shed his blood and wanted to know if that was even necessary and to him Jesus was a good example that was sent to show us the way and uh, shedding of his own blood. He was like, is it, I mean, is it really, was it really necessary? He even wondered if it was barbaric. And now prior to him sharing this, uh, I spent 15 minutes solid on the board explaining why I believe it's the shedding of uh, blood for Christ was absolutely necessary in the whole spectrum for the forgiveness of sin. The net result was my view and explanation was confronted on the air, essentially. Um, what do you do when that happens? And first of all, let me admit that it's not easy to have your personal beliefs and uh, discounted sort of, or, and admitting this kind of opens the door for more patience. If you can admit, you know, it's not easy to have your beliefs challenged, it, it allows you to be a little bit more patient when they are. Let me put this particular situation in perspective. The shed blood of Jesus is something I hold so very dear and close to my heart, so close that I can't tease apart, literally, in my mind or in my heart, uh, the shedding of his blood from the love of God, the love of Christ, uh, the gospel, his, his resurrection, all the things, the shedding of blood are just as intrinsic to me 
uh, for me to denounce or reject the need for his blood is to utterly denounce Christ, really. That's how far afield, I believe, the position is. And I say this because I'm convinced that he was far more than just a good example, you know, uh, for humankind to follow. He's our literal Savior by and through his shed blood, which was untainted by sin uh, through his obedience to the Father, out of love for the Father and love for us. So again, to me, there's no doubt to this, and, uh, and we hold this up whenever we teach, but what was difficult was how do you react when somebody who is a caller, and he happens to be someone I know personally, a friend of mine, so I suppose what was most difficult was the me was for me was the fact that uh, I constantly am calling for us to love, and that the faith is subjective, and that listen we 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 have to let people think how they want to think, and I was put on the line I was put on the line right there on a very very important issue relative to being Christian the shed blood of Christ. So we have some decisions to make. Do you make shed blood of Jesus and my understanding of it mandatory with regard to my treatment of somebody else? In other words, do I insist that they embrace my views, which I believe are really strongly founded throughout the Old and New Testament, uh, in order to treat him as a brother? Does he have to accept them? If so, where is the right of every individual believer to follow Christ as they are led? Does he have the right to say, I'm not so sure I really understand the, ne the necessity for it? And where is the patience and long-suffering exhibited if I demand he believe as I do right now at this point in time on the air when he's calling in? So additionally, where is the fact that he or I may be wrong and in different views, not just the blood, but anything, and we all need time to grow? How do you balance all this? Finally is what I believe the correct view of the shed blood mandatory for salvation? That's a really important question to ask. We aren't, nobody ever lists the shed blood of Jesus uh, as one of the essentials to Christianity. We mention the gospel, which is the good news, but that kind of incorporates it. But specifically to understand the shed blood, uh, how many people simply accept the phrase, he died and shed his blood for us, not really even knowing what it means? So while I have personally placed tremendous emphasis on his shed blood in my walk um, and hold it up equally to his resurrection even, um, am I to demand that other people do the same? Am I a coward for not demanding it, you know? So what to conclude, subjective Christianity is really nice and convenient when everybody is sort of just agreeing to disagree. It becomes really difficult when someone steps up, says, I want to be part of this group, I want to follow Christ. I don't know that he is really the Savior. You know, what do you do? This is, uh, it becomes a very tenuous and difficult when, when love and patience and accepting is supposed to be part of the body's uh, modus operandi, and then someone comes in and says, yeah, I just think there's God and Jesus was a good man. How do you respond to that when Christ is the center of what Christianity is? So after the call last week, we have to imagine now that it's quite possible, talking about subjective Christianity, that some people will say, well, I don't think he was resurrected. And how do you deal with that? Do you freak out? And how to respond? Here's what I think. We always need to respond with patience, long-suffering, and love. You have to. That's mandatory. And trust that God is in charge by the Holy Spirit with people in 
their varying views. We respond by understanding that all people are at different places. And sometimes people get a hold of a book or uh, something else and it causes them to challenge things like resurrection, deity of Christ, shed blood, etc. And we have to support them in love and try to teach them uh, what we believe in truth and hope that that will sink in. That we, if we greet them with demanded dogmatism, we will only drive people away who have thoughts that are a little bit out there. We respond by reminding ourselves that we have not by any means come to a unity of the faith and, and on most subjects. And just because somebody has an iconoclastic view that's breaking down things doesn't mean that they should be cast out, but it does mean that they should be uh, brought in with love and talked to, etc. But we ought, however, to the best of our ability, try to articulate truths uh, uh, whenever possible and to use the Bible to support our, our stances until we get to what Paul says is the more excellent way, and that is the love. So we might remember that we're all individually accountable before God because someone decides that they are not going to believe this or that or this or that about the faith if they really truly believe that. That's up to them. We can't twist arms and we don't get a license to be mean and rude to people just because they hold a, a, a view that might make us say, oh, I can't stand to even listen to this. And, 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 and quite frankly, the one of his blood not needing to be shed really does that to me. But I still think we get more ground by patiently uh, letting people um, grow in their faith and uh, so I just wanted to make a comment on that, that call last week. Last week, we left off with three questions on the uh, screen that we didn't answer, so I'm going to try to hit them right now. Uh, the first one is by Rye. He says, I was wondering if you could explain the meaning of 1 Corinthians 7.14. What does it mean the non-believer is sanctified? What's happening in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is Paul is talking about being married, and uh, he's talking about uh, marriage... Uh, with people who are unequally yoked. And um, he says, 1 Corinthians 7, but if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. He was talking about, listen, it's better that you're not married like me if you can do it, but if you have to have sex, it's better to marry than to burn. And then he says, and unto the unmarried I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband, but if she depart, let her remain unmarried. He goes on. And then he says in verse 12, but unto the rest speak I, okay? Not the Lord. That is there. We say every scripture is, he says right there, I'm speaking not the Lord, he says, okay? And then he goes on, if any brother has a wife that believed not and she is pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman that has a husband that believeth not and if she be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. And then the verse in question for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, now they are holy. What is he saying? Well, first of all, remember, he says, this is not of the Lord. He says, this is from me. So this is a personal opinion. He's, in my opinion, that's what he's saying. But I think it goes back to the understanding of what marriage is in God's eyes. And that is when two people, male and female, come together in unity. They are one, and that oneness, that God sees them as one. 
And so if a wife is a believer and a husband's not a believer, then uh, the husband is sanctified by the wife's belief. I'm a total reconciliationist. I believe God uses every means uh, possible to bring everybody around to him. And if somebody is not a believer who's married to a believer, I think that he, by and through his, uh, the understanding that they are one, is able to justify the other as being sanctified. It's a radical liberal idea, but I think so. And I justify it by Malachi chapter 2, verses 15. Malachi writes, And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one? that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. What he's saying there is God has done this and he unites couples. And if there's differences, don't let it get in the way because God sees them as one. And I, I stand by that uh, interpretation. Uh, that's how I would counsel anybody. And it's the unfortunate thing that happens in religion, especially in Mormonism, that if you are unequally yoked, if a husband says, I don't believe in this Mormon church anymore, they tell the wife, divorce him. I mean, that's the first th thing that comes out of your mind. And I don't know if they still do it, but they certainly said, told my wife to do that. And they tell other uh, uh, families, and they break families up over the religion. God says, no, if you have a couple and one believes in one, you, you stay together if you're willing. Paul goes on and says, you don't always have to do that, but that's how he advises it. Uh, General Cobra the first says, do you think it is easier to preach a sermon who is to someone who's a non-believer or someone who thinks they're going to heaven like a Catholic or a Mormon uh, or, or, or a Christian uh, Baptist, or I'm adding that. Um, I would uh, go to, I think it's easiest to put new wine into new bottles. Uh, and I'm just using Jesus' words. You can put new wine into an old bottle, a, a Catholic, a Mormon, a whatever, and it's really difficult because we have been indoctrinated and we've been inculcated with all sorts of doctrines and it's very confusing. I still go back to some uh, doctrines and theologies from my LDS upbringing without even thinking about it. I find myself, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, that, 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 that isn't right, you know? And it's because, so I think to put new wine, the gospel, sharing it into a new bottle is far easier. Someone who doesn't know anything about religion than to have to take somebody and strip them of all their traditions and get them to understand the grace of God. Again, my opinion. And then the final question, Matt, what part of the Bible says no more prophets? The first one is you can go to uh, Hebrews 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God, who at different times and in diverse manners, uh, spoke unto us through prophets has in these last days spoken unto us by his son. So in the form, so there, there's an indication that he used to talk to us through prophets, but in these last days he speaks to us through his son. In uh, Luke 16, 16, Jesus says, for John was, uh, the law and the prophets were until John. That's what he says. So he kind of puts a, a period on the law and the prophets when John the Baptist hit the ground running, introducing and making way for the Messiah. And then finally, in Matthew 21, there's a parable that Jesus tells, and I've shared this, I think, just last week, about, it's all about the God sending prophets 
and the children of Israel killing them and sending more, and they stone them and sending more. And then Jesus says in the parable, and then God says, last of all, I will send my son. Again, putting a period after prophets once Jesus came and did his work. So there's the three off-air questions. Uh, tonight, we are going to, this is a stack, and let's uh, open up the phone calls so that the operators can start clearing what you have to say. We'll also take off-air questions if I can get to them, but I want to get to some emails. These have stacked up, and uh, some of them are really good, and I think it's important to try to cover them. 801-590-8413, 801-590-8413. Next week, we're going to pick it up at, and talk about uh, pre-mortal life from the LDS view and then from the Christian view and how it has changed over time and where the idea of a pre-mortal life came into view. So uh, we've answered probably 100,000 emails in the course of our ministry. Um, and uh, you start to get a sense of what people are about when they email you. And some people, they're just flat out open and they just want to say something. And other people are strategizers, especially the Calvinists and Mormon apologists. They're a real strategizer. And they think that, you know, we're not going to be able to see through what they're doing. Well, Matt here, he writes this, not Matt Slick. Uh, Matt writes this, Matt Nelson, and he said, why did you leave the LDS church? How, where did you find out it was not true? He doesn't say he's Mormon. He just asked the question. And our response was, hey, Matthew, watch our first show by going here. Uh, you'll get a bit of background as to what we do and why. He writes back, I read the page that you referred me to. It seems interesting. Uh, how do you know that you were born again? And so far, so good. Maybe he's truly interested. Maybe he's setting it up. We don't know. And our reply is to how do you know you were born again? Uh, we, I wrote, I knew when I started to love people who I otherwise couldn't love on my own that I was born again. And he asked, what was preventing you from loving other people? And I said, my sinful heart. And he replied, now the curtain drops. How is calling people who follow a particular religion part of a cult and Bible bashing with Mormons loving other people? You know, so I just heard uh, Earl Erskine laugh. He's in the audience tonight. He understands this because there's a setup that goes on and after a while you're just like just be honest just just be forthright you know I hate your guts I don't like what you do why don't you I, I respect that so much more than these strategizers who try to trap you with their words and uh, so I, I wrote back you know if a carload of people were headed toward a thousand foot cliff because the driver was really, really sure that it was the, the route to take, would it be unloving to say or do almost anything to warn them that they were headed the wrong direction? And he writes back, following a religion and driving down a cliff are two completely different things. They're really not. I mean, just, just come on, just look at what, the what I'm trying to uh, get, right? And it's not in your authority, he goes, if if a person is a faithful Muslim, Jew, Mormon, or Hindu, why should you of all people, he uses it several times with me, you of all people uh, receive a better place in the afterlife than them? Now, having found themselves in a corner of late because of the internet, the LDS are starting to embrace a much more, hey, we're all okay. 
And I, I see it and I hear it more and more. It's all okay. You know, because when they do that, then you become the persecutor when you question someone else's belief. It's kind of something that's snowballing around. More and more Christians and people who are ardent in their faith are being called zealots, and they're trying to shut it down. Well, the LDS are smart. They know how to survive. So they're taking that, that stance too. Well, why can't you just be loving? This is what Matt has taken. And uh, I wrote back, my friend worships an earthworm that tells him to have sex with his cat. My sister is a fundamentalist Muslim who believes in American Jihad. My cousin believes that he must take four wives to be with God. Is that all okay? No truth with a capital T out there for us to look to, Matt? Is it all relative? How about the Westboro Baptists? Would you warn somebody about joining the Westboro Baptists? Waco? Jim Jones? Would you want your mother to go to Guyana? You know, where do you draw the line when you see a car headed to go off a cliff and you say, I think I need to warn the driver and the, and the occupants of the car. So we went on and on and on and on. And he, it got so ugly that the last thing, and I, I wrote and I said, I, don't, I know where this is headed is you're so full of yourself. I sympathize with people who are atheists because of people like you. And it goes on. Um, his whole point is if a religion is getting its people to better mankind, then nobody has a right to ever challenge the tenets of that faith. And my point was the word tells us what to challenge and what not to tell. And as abhorrent and politically incorrect as that may seem in this day and age, that's the way it works. And whatever the word is telling us and suggesting and supported in the word, we try to use it to the best of our ability to lay lines of what is acceptable to God and what is not. Uh, and so we go from there. Got an email from Joe Hook. Uh, wait a second. Okay. Uh, got an email from Joe Hook. Hi, just wanted to let that, uh, know that Sean has helped me through uh, a real background of Mormon beliefs and how deceptive they are. I've really been blessed. Why is he now turning into his own version of Joseph Smith? Not from a deceiver's place, but one who would rather be governed by his own feelings and ideas than listen to people who understand the nature of all cults and not just the LDS. Please, can you ask him to get around people that know the Bible and also know what it means to be loving when speaking the truth? Ask him to be humble, not ignorant to just accept blindly, but willing to listen with a hammer in his hand to break falsehood. If it's true, it will stand the beating untouched. Please get around people who are wise in Christ. Listen to John Piper. Meet with James White and hang with Matt Slick. Find out why truth is so important, please. I would suggest that, first of all, I think discovering the truth is very important, Joe. And I think that you have gone from a religion where authority reigned and you've just jumped from the frying pan into the fire and you are going to men and saying, teach me, tell me what to believe. And, and uh, by the way, all three of those men happen to be five-point Calvinists as well. And what I believe Joe has done is, is, is just, let me be clear, I have Jesus in me by the Spirit. Anyone who accepts him by faith has Jesus in them by the Spirit, okay? And like John says, I have no need that someone teach me. John the Beloved says that in 1 John chapter 3. 
You have no need that someone teach you. Okay? You're telling me to go surround myself by these three Calvinists and learn from their wisdom. I don't believe that's necessary. And I don't think anybody needs to sit and listen to me and learn from my wisdom mandatorily. I will sit and listen to Matt and I'll consider what James White says and I will grow sometimes thereby and I'll learn new things. But they are not my leader. They're not my God. They have no authority over me. They don't have any authority over you. God has it. It really drives people crazy when you tell them, I go to God. What? You need to go to... No, you don't need to go to men. You don't need to go to religious services. You go to God. So uh, I also think when he said, if it's true, it will stand a beating untouched. I like that. And I agree. And so far, the things I've beaten with my hammer, like you tell me to do, have not stood untouched. Many of them have crumbled, in my opinion. I don't, I don't, I'm not saying I have the absolute truth, but they've crumbled, in my opinion. We've got a lot more emails, but we've also got two callers. And um, you can remove those other questions because I covered them, ladies. And let's go to Christian in Olympia, Washington, on line one. Christian, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. How you doing? Good. Um, real quick before I get to my question, I just want to, uh, my girlfriend's watching in the other room right now. She doesn't even know I'm on the phone with you, I don't think. Um, I just have a funny story just to embarrass her. Um, we're kind of, we're planning on kind of like, uh, like ideas for our honeymoon and everything. And I was like, oh, why don't we go to Salt Lake City, Utah and everything? And she's like, yeah, that'd be good. And she pauses and goes, you just want to go on there just so you could be on Heart of the Matter. <laughs> You're such like, a romantic. Uh, <laughs> okay. Anyway, so um, uh, so I just had a question. I've kind of am on the fence about this kind of back and forth, but I was kind of wondering your thoughts about this on the idea of uh, like Christians and everything watching movies like with uh, like witches or exorcisms or like you know t for taking an example like Harry Potter or something like that, and just kind of what like if we that should be something we should do or shouldn't or you know uh this is just my opinion and we're all you know there's very sensitive people and when they see something like that it's repulsive to them and so they have that right to, to be repulsed and they should be supported by us when they are uh many of them become pretty ardent that no one else should uh, we had a guy in my school of ministry he's constantly sending out a new uh protest against a new uh, this and and you know I kind of smile. There's other people who are very liberal in what they can see and read and understand. I happen to be one of them, and so I consider art art. I don't worry too much about. I figure if it's not Christian, it's of the world, and uh, you know. So I don't. I realize it's of the world, and I just view it for what it is. So for me personally, I have a very wide berth when it comes to what I can see and entertain my and and and. And I also see a lot of things affirming the importance of Christ through diabolical means. So to me, it, it helps me really understand God better. But I know that's a very, I'm a liberal and it's a very liberal view for other people. If it's going to stumble them, then they probably shouldn't participate in it whatsoever. Okay. Yeah, so, I can understand that. Does that help? Yeah, it does. I just think we run into trouble, Christian, if we start telling people, you know, from the pulpit, you should not go see the new Rocky movie and, uh, you know, or you should go see and pay for this. Because some of the movies that people have told me that you should go see that honor Christ, 
I found those to be just as repulsive. So, yeah. yeah. Do you really kind of a, a, in, a, your own person and what the Spirit's telling you, my brother? Okay. Hey, come out here on your honeymoon. We'll go to Denny's. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Thanks, Christian. Have a good one. You too. By the way, Denny's was on the list that my school of ministry friend says we should ban because I can't remember the reason. Uh, let's go to Carlos in uh, Peoria, Arizona. Carlos, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. How's it going? Good. How you doing? Pretty good. Hey, I have a question for you. Um, I'm recently born again only because of, like, the earlier this year. And so I, I lived for years as an agnostic. So I'm kind of, like, I guess uh, enthusiastic, you know, at, at this point, you know. But... I'm having trouble hearing you clearly, Carlos. I don't know what it is. It's, oh, I'm sorry. Can you hear me now? It's, it's a little better. I'm sorry. Uh, any better? I, yeah, that's better. Hey, um, anyways, I was saying, I'm, I'm only recently born again, and after years of being agnostic, I'm kind of, you know, real excited about, about being Christian and such. And so it seems, but uh, only from my short time, that it's really unpopular to be Christian. So, like, how do you... How do you balance, how do you handle that in your daily life if you want to talk about Christ, you want to do things like that, but nobody really wants to hear it, it seems yeah. like. It's a great question. Uh, you know, first of all, give yourself time. Uh, a lot of times when we first come out and we come to understand Christ, we, we have a lot of zeal, but we don't have a lot of skill or ability yet. We're babes in Christ, so we feel this great urgency to share but then we aren't equipped for the immediate rejection you get. So yeah. be, pa be patient and let the Spirit guide and uh, realize that really, really, truly realize, Carlos, God is reaching and He will use you and it's not incumbent upon you. There's not a duty that you have to go and get so many souls or even the next soul. Just let the Spirit guide. He will prepare you and... Uh, it's really a, an interesting thing. Some people are gifted with the, the ability to go out on the street and just preach it, and they don't yeah. stop. That's not me. I, don't, I, I can't do that. I, can't, I feel very um, inhibited to interrupt people's lives who are not ready to hear and to just force my message upon them. So it's, for me, Carlos, it's, it's, it's relational. It's time. It's letting them see the love first. And, and let me just share one thing really quick. I know I'm rambling, but let me share one thing. What was it that caused the children of Israel to believe Moses? It was the fact that he did miracles. In Exodus chapter 7, he went and he told them what God wanted them to do, and they didn't believe him. It was only when he did miracles that the children of Israel said, we're going to follow this guy. The same was true of Christ. He came and he did miracles so that they could see who he was. Same with his apostles. They did miracles and people said, ah, God is with them. We too have miracles to perform, but I don't believe it's miracles of healing on non-believers or tongues. I, I just don't think that's what's going to do it. I think the miracles today are our love. I think it's our Christian love that breaks down the barriers and walls. That's a miracle to people and that will open the doors. Okay, sounds good. I appreciate hey, it. Thanks, Carlos, for everything. Hey, have a good day. God bless. Bye-bye. And we're going to Mark in Alberta, Canada. Mark, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hey, Mark. Uh, forgive, 
forgive me. Uh, I've been going through some of your archives and that stuff, so I can't remember if it was just your past campus or whatever. I got kind of a, 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 a mess of everything right now. But um, uh, I was going through one, and uh, I think you're talking about uh, uh, uh wife, where Joseph was uh, tempted. Yeah. And it, was that just this past Sunday, or was this an old one? I can't remember Old now, one? but anyhow. I, Older one. I felt, yeah, I think it was last year or something. Anyhow, um, uh, a, a pastor of mine was actually talking about the same thing on Sunday, and uh, he he was fleeing because of his fleshly temptations, he was saying. But I don't know, um, but you were saying something different, and I guess I would like to understand exactly what were you getting at. Was he being tempted by Satan, or was he being tempted by maybe this attractive woman? I don't know. We don't know if she was or not, but I'm assuming she was. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I can't remember what, what I said. Uh, I don't know the answer to that, to, to get specific with what I had said. Well, it was, uh, it was okay, I'll give maybe uh, jog your memory here. It was uh, going back to, uh, in Matthew, when there was different, uh, uh, like the the... the Synoptic Gospels are, are more of a harsher way of dealing with uh, uh, of situations. Like, uh, basically, uh, when Christ had said uh, you get you smacked in the, on the left, you hit him with the right, or, or you know, and that kind of stuff. But then there was, uh, but it was all different approaches, right? Different approaches for, for um, uh, until we get to Paul, where it's more a, a softer approach and that stuff of how we're uh, how we deal with uh our flesh and and what is actually being dealt with in um in, in a spiritual tax or whatever if i'm if i'm getting it right but well, uh you know what my um, brother i'm at a loss i'm sorry if you okay um, well basically in a nutshell um how was um how was uh how was um joseph fleeing from from uh, Potter's wife, was that more of a fleshy thing, Finn, or was that really him fleeing from Satan, in your opinion? Uh, I, think, his, I think he was just. Get, I think he was getting out of a, a a very difficult, tenuous situation. He probably found a woman who was coming on to him, and he knew it was Potiphar's wife. And if he stuck yeah. around there, he would be accused one way or another. And uh, maybe he was tempted. Maybe he was just using wisdom. I don't know. I don't know what we talked about. I'm sorry, I can't remember. Well, that's okay. I kind of went through a whole bunch of different things, and but I do like uh, I do like the comment when you were talking about in James four and nine, where you, where you had gone to uh, uh, performed a wedding and that stuff, and you you didn't know how to. I think it was a moat or something around this place, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you, you said James four died as a book. Starting it for grieving, laughter in the morning. <laughs> some of that said so you'd like to do some wedding. I'd laugh my head off. <laughs> I'm laughing. Anyhow, God bless. Uh, I, I won't get that one out of my head now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mark, for calling. Okay, really bye. appreciate it, brother. Okay, bye bye. Yeah, I, one of the weddings I was asked to do, I hope they're not watching. The, fa the father took a earth mover and dug a moat i mean it was huge about the size of this building and then he put this gazebo in the middle of it and put all these 
trees around it and had a bridge and all the people stood around the moat that were guests. It was in the middle of the summer. They're sweating their brains out. And up on this white carriage with horses comes the bride. And I was just, I, this is so surreal to me how much money has gone in to this bride getting married in that way. All right, in Genesis 6, the Bible talks about old one, giants, men of renown. Does anyone think that they have, may have been from a previous advanced civilization? Repeat. Old ones, men of renown, Richard McGinnis. I've heard people talk about that, and I've heard explanations on it. And to me, it's something I just don't understand. I can't comment on it with any sort of certainty. They were giants in the land when the sons of God came down I mean, the, among the, uh, the, the children of God. I can't even remember the quote. It's one of those passages that creates the Nephilim, it creates giants, it creates aliens, it creates every sort of uh, uh, conjecture, and I don't know the answer. From Evan, I recently found this show while uh, researching uh, LDS. I'm grateful for your ministry. It's helped me uh, understand Christ. I was never LDS, but my, in my area of residence in Palm Bay, Florida, has many LDS here. I am struggling with anger against these people. I lost a dear friend years ago in junior high who was a Christian who became so weird with his LDS beliefs. I'm angry because I found out that this old friend has been going on LDS mission trips and converting many people to this false religion. I guess I never realized that people that seek Christ could be converted by a lying, fake Christian facade. That's how he puts it. That's Evan. Uh, the LDS have a massive missionary force, and yes, they're effective, especially in third world countries. I heard recently that there are 4 million active LDS in the world. That's nothing compared to the 15 million who are supposed to be on the uh, records. And uh, apparently in the U.S., the numbers are shrinking radically because of the internet. And uh, that in third world countries where people don't uh, read and uh, have access to as much information, that's the only place where the church is growing. And uh, many people who join in those places are coming out of Catholicism and also coming out of Protestant uh, religions. This makes Evan angry, but I think we know where part of the blame, maybe much of the blame lies, and I'm going to put it right at our own church. I'm going to put it on ourselves. Uh, certainly weaker people can be swayed to the LDS uh, PR machine or the romance of another member. You get involved with another member. That, that just takes over everything. But we absolutely prepare people to want to jump into the LDS church when they have been raised in a Christian church and they f all they see is judging and fighting amongst each other denominationally and over debatable doctrines. When we have, I'm sorry, when we have rock, rock concert services and stage shows and fog machines and, you know, they go to an LDS church where they're they're very calm, and they're talking about principles of goodness. And uh, when, they, when, when the Christian community is pitching tithes and building funds, and they're building literal empires in Jesus' name, $10 million mansions, the biggest Christian denominations. You know, we just see what TBN lady just died. Multiple houses. We see Joel Osteen. He's effective in bringing people to the Lord. I know people who do get it. They're inspired to the Lord by him. I don't like him, but they are. God uses everything. Learjets. I mean, we are getting people who are watching a very organized religion that approaches things very, very sensibly, 
and says, you know, and I know that God doesn't always work that way, but when they get out of that insensibility, sometimes they're lured away. The most important failure, though, amongst all that, that stuff can come and go, is that we don't teach the word. And when our people don't know the word, our people will get trapped and tricked by people who will give them a false gospel. We've stopped preaching the word uh, to people because we want to entertain them, because we want to put butts in the seats, because we want to have our congregation full. And it's better to have an empty house and teach the word than a full house and to give them cotton candy. All right, Mark J., um, I just found your interview with John DeLynn. It was done some time ago. I just wanted to say that when I first found your television show years ago, I hated what you were doing and frankly saw you as another disaffected Mormon that hated the Mormon church who was ticked off at his former club and wanted to beat up Mormons. But now that I got to know you through the interview, I apologize for misjudging you. I have to sh say I share a lot of your opinions. He says, I'm a Christian Mormon, and I couldn't agree more with many of the things that you said on that show. Uh, this interview with John has gone a long way uh, with a lot of people who have uh, hated my guts because of what we uh, did and probably still continue to do. And, uh, but they saw a different side of me. And um, we reached a certain segment of society with that approach. We're hopefully hitting a different segment now. We're really grateful for John DeLynn for interviewing uh, us uh, that time and giving us a, an audience on, with his uh, program. From Keith in Ohio, having had some rough months, your teaching helped me get through my faith. I am actually catching up on milk and meat. Uh, and he comments on loving the fact that at the end of milk and meat, we open up to Q&A and to uh, uh, other additional information from anybody who wants to share it. We do it every week. After we teach the word, we open it up. And uh, many people will write us and say that doesn't happen in their church. The pastor won't allow questions. And uh, we invite all people to tune in, of course, to campus. There's a little plug, campuschurch.tv on Sundays. Uh, what Keith is talking about are he really likes some things that came from the audience. And it's really important because we get insights and clarifications from our live audience that are really beneficial, often superior to mine, and they bring stuff to the table that uh, I've never thought of, and that's how it should be, because we're a body. Now, while I might be the teacher, I have no authority, I have no priesthood, and just because I'm the teacher does not mean my insights are superior to those sitting in the audience. So why we have this top-down, this is how it is business going on, even if someone has a PhD, who gives a darn? It's the spirit that moves people, and the individual common man, like Jesus chose to be his apostles, were the ones that were filled with the Spirit. And people filled with the Spirit are going to know the information far better than the PhD, in my opinion. Now, PhD has a Spirit, great. All the more to him. But we get really afraid to let other people speak. And uh, I think it's important. I think more churches should do it. Just my, just my two cents. David says, good day, Sean. My name's Dave from Australia. I recently found your videos on the, LDS, on the LDS on YouTube. I have to agree with the things you say about Mormons. You have totally opened my eyes to what the Mormons are. I am a Mormon, but no longer attend the church. Uh, and it's our blessed pleasure, mate, to uh, just saying hi to the people in Australia. Barb Davis says, do we have it all wrong? I used to watch your shows when I first left the LDS church in 2012, all through 2013 and 14. Then I slacked off. Out of the blue, I watched 
one of your 70 AD shows. Has anybody ever had these thoughts that we have a God, he allows us to live on earth, he doesn't interfere, doesn't interfere with us, but he lets us live our choices, good and bad, and life happens because of these choices, along with death because of germs and bad people and storms and disasters. Jesus could have lived to show us the right path, but doesn't grant some miracle like letting someone live while taking others in plane crashes or war. It just doesn't make sense for him to be so heartless when two people pray righteous prayers and both are believers. Why does he show favoritism? She's pouring out her soul. Lots of ellipses between her things. She's 75 years old. And she says, I'm still searching for truth. I was Catholic 32 years, LDS 35 years. I now consider myself a saved Christian, but nothing makes me feel completely like life is understandable. So, you know, Barb, the longer I'm in the Word, the more I realize that God is not a despot, but he always gets his way. And while he always gets his way, he, I believe he completely gives us the ability to choose. And however, in allowing us to choose, he always is there to make things right in the end. That's the way I see it. And I don't believe we can control God through our prayers. I do not believe that for a second. I remember when I was a missionary for the Mormon church, we used to have a booklet called Drawing on the Powers of Heaven. And it literally taught us that we could kind of get God in a corner and force him to do certain things by living and being a certain way. It was really reprehensible. Um, he will accomplish his will. Having said that, we make a huge deal out of human suffering. I mean, a really big deal. And I have a different view of it. I was sharing it the other day and I heard someone laugh because they heard me say this. But, you know, it's like David. He goes and he kills Uriah and he takes his wife. And we think, and God still loved David. How unjust. What about poor Uriah? He should never be forgiven for that sin. And I realized it was bad. And I realized it was wrong. But maybe Uriah died and he met God and God granted him such blessings and made everything so right that Uriah was like, I am so glad David killed me. God has overabundantly blessed me for that unjust act that was perpetrated upon me. We think in such limited terms about it's so unfair, there couldn't be a God with all this suffering. But in the spectrum of the eternities, God will make all things right, that's a promise. All things just, that's a promise. And so if we trust in that, and that's what it's all about, Barb, is trusting in Him and having faith in Him and His ways, not leaning to our own understanding. We have a sign above us that says that. When you do that, you are, you are saying to Him, I know you're going to work this out. It's a really big uh, territory now that snowballing, as people say, I can't believe in a God who allows and I can believe in a God who allows because he's not a despot. And I do believe he will make all things, everything, right in the end. From Beverly Eastwood, for Sean, has there been much backlash from the speech by Jason Kunstler? Uh, that was a BYU-Idaho speech that we covered uh, line by line uh, a few months ago. Uh, I know that he was edited, and I know that they changed the speech. And so they took out some things that he did say uh, uh, after leaving it up for quite a while. And we had a, a number of people write and talk about it, but we haven't had much else from that. So thanks for that, Barb. <coughs> this is from Dale. My question and request is, can you explain to me the hullabaloo over the Trinity issue? 
Uh, if you go online, you type my name and you type Heart in the Matter, you're going to see the Inquisition. You'll see a bunch of stuff about the Trinity. And you'll see a lot of people, particularly the Calvinists, just pointing fingers at me being a heretic, a non-Christian, off the rails, etc., etc. From where I'm sitting, which is usually in the cheap seats, it looks like it's all about semantics. What am I missing? I get the word Trinity is not in the Bible, and that it's a way that we can use to explain the three states or conditions of God. I once asked my pastor if it was kind of like H2O, and he said, yeah, but all at the same time. I'm really not sure what that means. So the difference, what's the difference that everyone was all over you about, Dale asks. Uh, okay, nine quick points. One, Trinitarians insist I must accept their view of the makeup of God. That's the first thing. You have to accept our understanding of the makeup of God. Second, I personally do not, but I acknowledge that they could be right. I acknowledge that they could be right, and I could be wrong, but add that God himself has not made it that clear. It isn't that clear, and there's a lot of disputable stuff in it. So I want the, the, the freedom to stand off and say, I'm not so sure. Uh, I believe that there is one God. I believe it's the Father. That's how I see it. I believe his words, and listen, if God has words, those words must be incredibly powerful and eternal, and that those words were made flesh and dwelled among us in the man, in the man Jesus. I believe that his, God's breath is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Pneuma, and that gives life. And I do not accept these manifestations of God to man as distinct persons. I just don't. If I'm wrong, do I go to hell? Because I just don't, I don't see it that way. I, again, so Trinitarians insist that I call Father, Son, Holy Spirit three persons, beings. So uh, three as in me and you, Dale, and Delaney, three, that's how they insist I'm going to say, but one God. That's the definition. While I don't accept this description of God and see him as I've described, I claim that a lack of knowledge may be keeping me from knowing the true nature. I, I admit that, but I'm not sure that I'll ever get there. And so I kind of want to see, you know, I kind of want to say I'm not going to make a stand on it. I don't necessarily agree with it. I'm not doing it just to be rebellious. I really don't understand it. And um, I don't think we can understand God, and I just think it's a man-made thing to try. So, for this, I'm attacked, called a heretic, completely discounted by uh, many believers, especially here in Utah and by Calvinists. So, and I'm really ashamed of the literalism and how it's applied. And I think that when we're dealing with LDS people, and this is the primary thing about the Trinity, I don't think it's fair that we impose upon them the need for them to accept that term, non-biblical term, creedally created by men, in my estimation, and tell them that they have to get rid of their man-made uh, ideas and terms as well. I think we need to make a level playing field, and that's one where I think, well, listen, you believe in Jesus Christ, you believe he's Lord and Savior, you believe God's his only son, you believe born of a virgin, yes, 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 you believe all that, you need the mighty change, born again, yes, yes, yes. Hey, you want to see him in different ways, and I know people are freaking out by that, but that's just how I see it. All right, uh, Let's skip that one. It's too long. Oh, hey, Sean, there's something that's been on my mind. I can't think of a better way to address it than to come to you. I used to watch videos of Christians addressing LDS in the streets to challenge them on what they believe. 
I did this out of entertainment, and I admit it can be entertaining. Now some of these ministries are fine, but from most of them I get upset. Uh, they are going up to people who often admit that they have limited knowledge of the Bible and badger them about what they believe. Badger, badger, badger about what they believe. I know quite a bit about the Bible, and lately I've been wanting to get in there and show the reasonableness of some LDS teachings. Some are reasonable. And as we've shown, talking about God, uh, the Son, Holy Spirit, Satan, and all that, we've shown that there are reasonable beliefs within Mormonism. That's what makes it such a good deception. Come on. There's some reasonable stuff in it. So the LDS get challenged on their thoughts about work and faith, and I want one of them to... Uh, he goes on and talks and talks about different things. And, he, and, and I just want to tell you, uh, Brandon from Marlowe, I agree. Uh, there's a pageant called Manti where they recreate uh, the Manti pageant. And there's a temple square up here in, in Salt Lake, North Temple. And, you know, people are out there just doing unbelievable things. And I, I recite this often. But when Gordon B. Hinckley's wife died, uh, and, and, and uh, there was a guy with a megaphone. He was a Christian. Cross. Cross of Christ hanging there. And he says, uh, hey, I have a message from Gordon B. B. Hinckley's wife from the grave. Ah! Ah! You know, it's just, it's just embarrassing fanaticism. People say, well, you do a show. People can turn the channel. I'm not showing up to LDS-sponsored events and screaming at them from another street that they are going to burn in hell. And that's another thing that I think needs to go away. I don't think it's effective. I've never thought it was effective. So, there you go. Uh, if John the Baptist showed up, this is from Richard, and told Smith that his friend had to baptize him so he could then baptize him, who baptized Oliver Cowdery and gave him the priesthood? Official church history says that John the Baptist showed up to Smith and Cowdery, didn't, join the bab didn't John the Baptist ridicule the ironic priesthood. Uh, I don't understand the question. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, uh, Richard. I don't understand it completely. And I, I'm sure it's because of our operators who have been sipping hard alcohol since two this afternoon. Their typing has run amok. Be healed! Just kidding. Uh, Francisco from Santan, Arizona is on the lines. Francisco, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how are you? Doing well. How you doing, Francisco? I'm doing great. Hey, I love your show. I've been following you since day one. And wow. I have a question. Whatever happened to the uh, Spanish ministry translation thing from a guy up here in Flagstaff? You know, uh, he did a few. I, I, have, I, uh, I don't know. I'll have to ask him. He, uh, he's busy with other things. He did a great job, and I know he did maybe four or five. Wendy, do you know? Yeah. Uh, what's happened with the Spanish translation of the show? What? You can't understand her. She's had too much liquor. Our <laughs> staff has a serious problem. Anyway. Um, oh, he needs somebody to help him. You. He needs somebody to help him, Francisco. Maybe it's you. Hey, if you email me, I'll put you in touch with Aaron Tunnell and see if uh, you guys can do something. Okay, yeah, because I just heard, you know, what you said on this show that, you know, 
right here where I live, this is if, if you think Utah is a mecca of Mormonism, this is a mecca of LDS. Okay, so I don't know. There's a whole lot of difference between that <laughs> LDS and Mormonism because we live here. There's I mean we're surrounded, but you're right. They're heading south. They're yeah, they are. South where you know uh, there's not a whole lot of internet, uh, etc. There's not a whole lot of material put in Spanish, etc. So I'll email you and we'll get in touch. And uh, anyway, just want to give you some uh, kudos there. Great show. And I, like I said, I've been following you since day one. I remember the, the slimy mushroom, whatever they called you. Remember oh, yeah. that? Yeah, they called me uh, mushroom. Musky clam. Musky clam. Musky clam. Musty clam. Anyway. That was from our buddy. audience members. <laughs> Thanks, Francisco. Love you, brother. You too, brother. Take care. Email me. Bye. Really funny because the last email here, uh, it's from Juan Carlos Verduga Sanchez. He says, polygamy made me start to lose my faith. I started searching and found lots of stuff that proves the LA's church is not true. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ now. I am in Mexico, but follow your shows. I am trying to talk to my family about the false doctrine of the LDS church. Thank you for your shows. Uh, thank you for watching, uh, Juan Carlos. And, uh, and, uh, Maybe that's just, it's really interesting. We got the call. We'll bring up Eric Tonell. We'll talk to Aaron, see if he's still interested in doing that. We have translated Born Again Mormon into Spanish. We have it, I think. Seth, is he here? Uh, ask him if, is it available online yet? They can't wake Seth up. He's snoring now because of the consumption of the dreaded drink. I try so hard. I try and try to keep them on the straight and narrow, and no one listens to me. Listen, join us next week. Everybody should be sobered up, and we will come back to uh, talking about the premortal existence from an LDS and from a Christian, biblical, and uh, ancient point of view. See you next week here on Heart of the Matter. I'm on the ride, going nowhere. I am an existential cowboy on the wind And I won't be coming out, I'm going in This man's awake, a storm's arising the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know And I can feel the light-filled monkeys